How often do we make big decisions without consulting the Lord, without praying, uh, without seeking the advice of godly friends, without reading his word and asking him to speak to us through it? How often do we make significant life decisions without doing any of those things? Instead, we focus on what seemed to work for other people, and we allow that to be the deciding factor. Uh, For example, the thought process might go something like this. I'm having a hard time at work. So-and-so left a few months ago, and now they're working for such-and-such a company, and things are going really well for them. I need to hand in my notice. Or we're really struggling financially. We, we, We don't have enough money to do anything. And uh, those friends of ours, they downsized, and they've never been happier. We need to put our house on the market. Or life seems a bit bland at the moment. It's just the same old, same old. Our neighbors moved to Perth, and now they're living the dream. We need to move. Of course, there's nothing wrong with changing jobs, downsizing, or moving to another city. Any of those things could be absolutely the right decision to make. The question is, did we seek the Lord's guidance or did we make the decision independently based on what we saw others doing? I think often we just inform God of our plans and then expect him to bless them. And that's what we see in Israel's passage today. Uh, There was a problem with the nation's leadership. So the uh, leaders, of the, the elders of the nation, they, they looked to the other nations and they said, well, uh, having a king seems to work for them. That's the solution. We need a king. So let's start by looking at the leadership problem that Israel had. Uh, over the past two weeks, we've seen that God intervened to prevent uh, Eli the priest and his sons Hophni and Phinehas from continuing as the nation's leaders. Uh, we saw how Hophni and Phinehas uh, completely abused their position. They uh, took the choice cuts of meat from the animals that were to be sacrificed. They slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Uh, So God took Eli's family out of the picture, and he moved Samuel into a position of leadership. Samuel was the last of Israel's judges, those that ruled Israel before they had kings. Sadly, history repeated itself because Samuel's sons, Joel and Abijah, were also corrupt and dishonest. Verse 3 says, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So their sins were slightly different to those of Hophni and Phinehas, but it amounted to the same thing. They were abusing the position that they held. And whereas Eli reprimanded his sons, he didn't put a stop to their behavior, uh, but he did at least raise it with them, Samuel seems completely oblivious to his son's failings. Um, Because verse 1, it tells us he appointed his sons as leaders. I think there's probably a lesson here about being objective when it comes to our own children. Uh, The children's author, Roald Dahl, noticed that uh, a lot of parents are not objective when it comes to their own children. And he begins the book, Matilda, with these words. It is very tongue-in-cheek. But he, he said, 
It's a funny thing about mothers and fathers. Even when their own child is the most disgusting little blister you could ever imagine, they still think that he or she is wonderful. Some parents go further. They become so blinded by adoration, they manage to convince themselves their child has qualities of genius. Well, there is nothing wrong with all this. It's the way of the world. It is only when the parent begins telling us about the brilliance of their own revolting offspring that we start shouting, bring us a basin, we're going to be sick. <laughs> now, we love our children, and it's a good thing that we do. But just as we encourage them in their strengths, so too we want to help them to overcome and to address their character flaws. That is part of the uh, job of being a parent. Eli and Samuel failed in this area. So the elders of Israel, uh, they, they actually appreciated Samuel and his leadership, but they feared what would happen with his corrupt sons in charge. And their, their motives were good. They wanted to make sure that Israel continued to have godly leadership like Samuel had given. Uh, the problem is, instead of looking to God for their solution, they looked to the other nations. They said, all the other, other nations have got kings to lead them in battle. If we're going to survive as a nation, we're going to need a king. They'd already forgotten about the victory that God gave them over the Philistines. And we read about that last week when Israel finally turned away from their idols. They stopped worshipping those false gods and they turned back to the Lord. It was God who defeated the Philistines. You remember from last week that huge sound of thunder which shook the ground. And if you were awake uh, on Monday night when we had that storm, if you live in Springfield, you'll know how terrifying that could be, especially if you were out in the elements. So God caused the Philistines to be overcome with fear. Uh, they panicked and they fled and the Israelites pursued them. But in spite of that victory that God had given them, the elders thought that they needed a king to lead them in battle. So they go to Samuel with their own predetermined solution for Israel's leadership problem. And it was based on being like the other nations. But the whole idea about Israel is that they were supposed to be separate from the other nations. God had set them apart to be different, to show the world what it means to worship the one true God of Israel. They were not called to emulate the surrounding nations, to copy them, just as we are not called to emulate the prevailing culture. Israel, basically what it comes down to, Israel were were seeking security in something other than God. And that fatal mistake is equally common in the world today, and particularly in the Western world. As individuals, we ask, what do I need to be secure? And the answer is often education, a healthy bank balance, an insurance policy, pension fund, superannuation, and so on. And as a nation, we ask, what do we need to be secure? And the answer is often a, a stock market that performs well, good global partnerships and alliances, uh, a strong defense force, uh, 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 health care that's second to none, all these things. And those things are not wrong in themselves. They may well be part of the way that God cares for us and provides uh, stability and security to our lives and to our nation. The problem occurs when we fail to understand God and his sovereignty. 
and we depend on all those other things for security instead of depending on God. And that amounts to a rejection of God. So for Israel, uh, the monarchy may or may not have been a, 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 a bad thing. Depending on where you look in the Old Testament, uh, the monarchy is often viewed positively and other, other times negatively. So it could be good or bad. However, on this occasion, instead of seeking the Lord, the go-to solution was that the elders demanded a king. And that is a problem. Because we don't go to God with a solution and expect him to bless it. We go to God for the solution. But they did take this issue issue to Samuel, which shows that they at least weren't trying to bypass the system. Uh, But Samuel doesn't take kindly to this. Not surprisingly, he takes their demand for a king as a personal criticism. Uh, He feels that the elders are rejecting him and his leadership. Who here takes criticism well? Put your hands up. Nobody? That's not a surprise. Um, When we're criticized, we normally have one or two reactions. We either retreat into our shell or we get defensive and aggressive. But Samuel had a different way of dealing with criticism. Listen to verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. That's how Samuel dealt with criticism. He took it to the Lord. He said, what's going on here? Why am I being criticized? And the Lord says to Samuel, look, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. And that's what they've been doing ever since I led them out of captivity and slavery in Egypt. They've been turning to the false gods of the surrounding nations. Israel wanting to be like the nations is terrible because it leads them to adopt all kinds of evil practices. Uh, when Israel says, we want, to, we want a king like the nations, it's like, really? Really, that's the route you want to go down? You want to be like the nations? And how else are you going to want to be like the nations? It's a dangerous route to go down. Wanting to be like the nations is what led the people to be idolatrous. But the elders have decided that they're going to put their trust in a king because that seems to work for the nations. Uh, It's as if they're moving this leader, this figurehead, in front of God. So instead of looking to God, they're going to look to the king. And I think we see the same thing happening in the church today. Celebrity pastors, charismatic leaders, uh, highly acclaimed successful teachers, course, there's nothing wrong with an individual reaching a wide audience with the gospel. That's a good thing. But what can happen is that that leader gets moved in front of Christ, so to speak, so that uh, people are following the leader more than they're following Christ. Christian leaders uh, can sometimes be idolized in the same way that uh, Israel idolized the idea of having a king. And this is really damaging for everyone. It's damaging for the leaders themselves. It's damaging for those who put them on a pedestal. And it's damaging for the church as a whole. Uh, And one of the many issues that stems from this is uh, lack of accountability because, you know, people get so starstruck by this celebrity Christian who's on the telly all the time and got this 
following of thousands of people, and they get starstruck, and people become very reluctant to criticize anything that that leader says or does. And often, you know, things go wrong, they can go further and further um, in that direction. In recent times, it's been really sad to see, uh, you know, a number of sort of big name Christian leaders fall in different ways. A, a well known Christian apologist died last year. Uh, by the way, Christian apologetics is, uh, you, if you hear that term, Christian apologetics, it's nothing to do with saying sorry. It's all about presenting a reasoned, rational, uh, logical um, uh, basis and uh, argument for the Christian faith. Anyway, this well-known Christian apologist, he died last year, and shortly after his death, it emerged that he was guilty of sexual misconduct. Um, admittedly, he's not alive to defend himself, uh, but an investigation by his own organization uh, found the allegations to be true. And when a man like that falls, it's incredibly sad, and it can be devastating for those whose faith has been built up by his ministry. And if someone has moved that Christian leader in front of Christ, uh, so they're looking to the leader and not to Christ, then such a discovery can, can actually lead to a real crisis of faith. But if leaders do fall, it needn't rock our face, faith because they are mere human beings. We don't follow Christian leaders. We follow Christ. If all your hope is in a mere man or woman, then you're going to be very disappointed and in some cases devastated. So through Samuel, God warns his people about the consequences of demanding a king, demanding a king that they're going to look to, probably more than they're going to look to their God. He says, you're putting all your hope in a king. And at this point, they don't even have a candidate. But your hope is misplaced. And here's the reality. Here's what's going to happen. Summarizing what uh, the Lord said through Samuel there, he said, a king will conscript your sons into his army. He'll put you to work on his land and force you to make weapons of war. He'll put your daughters to work in the palace. He'll take your best fields, vineyards and olive groves and uh, give them to his attendants. He'll take the best of everything for his own use. He'll tax you heavily and you'll basically become his slaves. So that's the summary of what the Lord said through Samuel. But in verse 18, he says this. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. If we make decisions without seeking the Lord, or worse still, ignoring the Lord after he's spoken, which is what Israel did here, then we can't um, expect God to bail us out when things go wrong. If you decide to take up crocodile wrestling as a hobby, you can't blame God if it costs you an arm and a leg. Story that. That was, that was bad, sorry. <laughs> if you push yourself to the limit in the pursuit of a lucrative career and it's motivated by greed, you know, don't be surprised if you uh, wind up suffering from chronic stress or chronic fatigue or depression. If you smoke 20 a day, eat nothing but McDonald's and do no exercise, then at some point you are going to have serious health problems. The choices we make have consequences. We can't blame God for those consequences. And there is in this passage a certain amount of, you've made your bed, now lie on it. But 
as we'll see, that is not where this ends. That is not the note this ends on. In spite of Samuel's warning, the people still demand a king. Verses 19 to 20, our key verse today. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. They've completely missed the point, haven't they? And they go further this time. In verse 5, at the beginning, they just said, appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. Now they're saying, we want a king over us, then we will be like the other nations. The desire, the temptation to conform to the world's way of doing things is strong, isn't it? To push God aside and to rely on our bank balance or our insurance policy. And sometimes we just want to fit in. Uh, I was uh, listening to a minister from this diocese uh, a while back, and he was talking about his son who one day on the way to church just blew up at him and said, why do we have to be such freaks? Well, just like Israel, we are called to be different. We're set apart to show the world who God is and what he's like, and in so doing to bring more people to Christ, that they'll know Jesus, that they'll know this God. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The message translation puts it like this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Israel demanded a king, but they already had one, and so do we. Jesus is the king of kings, and we need to fix our attention on him, and then we will begin to understand God's will for our lives. We can't base our life decisions on what we see the people and the culture around us doing. Because in many cases, not exclusively, but in many cases, what we believe to be good and right and true will be different. The way we spend our time and our money and our energy will be different. The source of our security will be different. Our whole worldview will be different. Not in every case, but a lot of the time. So what happens when we do make a decision without first seeking the Lord? What happens when we get it wrong? Well, I think we see a hint in verses 21 to 22. It says, when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. He went back to God and he said, look, this is what the people are saying. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. God warned his people about the consequences of their choice. But when they ignored him, he didn't desert them. He, he stuck with them and he rolled with it. And as we'll see in coming weeks, uh, God chose the first king of Israel, King Saul, and uh, subsequently King David. God was involved in that process of choosing a king for Israel, even though he'd said, don't do this. It's not a good idea. But when Israel had embarked on that uh, course, God then tried to work in amongst that and make the best of it. It's very reassuring to know that even when we make bad choices, 
God will continue to work in and amongst the mess and the muddle that we create. This doesn't mean that we won't face the consequences, but it does mean that God is always willing to guide us if we'll allow him to. The question for us today is, will we look to the world around us for solutions? Will we conform to the pattern of this world? Or will we continually seek the Lord for direction and guidance? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can, I think we can all recognize that very often we make decisions and we bring them to you and we expect you to bless them. When what we should be doing is coming to you before we make the decisions and seeking your guidance and your wisdom. And we pray, Father, that we can, we can learn from the example of Israel in this passage and we will recognize Whenever we have to make a significant decision, okay, we need to take this to the Lord. Help us to see that and help us to reap the benefits of it. We pray, Father, that we'll put our complete hope and our trust in you. We recognize it is wise to be good stewards of our finances and to prepare for the future. That That's wisdom, but ultimately our trust has to be in you and only you. And we pray that increasingly that will be the case for each one of us here today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.